Brethren, we are going to be blessed over the next two hours of the sermon. <laughs> Three hours of the sermon. <laughs> if you would, please welcome Mr. Ian Hufton, our good friend, for the sermon this afternoon. still a 19th century person, I have to do all my, all my preparation and organization all by myself and hope it works out. It is so wonderful to be here seeing your faces on this fabulous, wonderful last day of Unleavened Bread. This, this room is so full of praise and worship music, I was sorely tempted to sing the whole sermon. But in the spirit of Unleavened Bread, I am going to resist that temptation <laughs> and we'll just try and see if we can get through it in the normal way. Now, if any of you are looking for summer weather, come on down to Texas because yesterday it was so hot I could not wear my Friday go to meeting clothes to drive up here. So I dressed for the beach <laughs> and then Surprise, surprise, 41 degrees this morning. I'll be heading south again fairly soon. Now, Wynne Skelton talked about this stick that's hanging here on the side of the podium with a hook on the end of it. And he said it had something to do with a trap door down here. But I'm not too worried because the stick is hanging right here near my left hand. So, if somebody reaches for the stick, I think I can beat them to it. How many of you love Bible questions? Right, as long as I'm not asking you Bible questions, right? I love Bible questions because they help us think more deeply about our glorious future. So, let's begin with this question. How can we eat living bread? What was Jesus talking about? How can we eat living bread? Jesus said this in John 6, 58. He said, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna, which just means what is it, right? And are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So, hey, quick, give us this bread because we want to live forever. Where is this bread? So, for seven days we have eaten unleavened bread. Is this the same as eating the living bread? No. No. So, don't go home patting yourself on the back that, wow, I ate unleavened bread for seven days. I'm good to go. No, there's more to it. That's not eating the living bread. Jesus explains more fully in John 6, 57. He says, he who feeds on me. This is the only time that appears in the scripture. I love this. He that feeds on me will live because of me. He who eats this bread will live 
forever. Jesus was talking about spiritual eating of spiritual bread. And he says so in John 6.63 because in between those verses, a whole huge number of his disciples turned their backs and walked away because he said, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood or you have no life in you. And they're all thinking down at the carnal physical level and they're going, well, he was great up to this point, but now he's preaching cannibalism and he wants us to come up here and take a bite out of him. This is terrible. We're out of here. And so he finishes with John 6.63 and he says, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. We're just here transitory to learn about the spirit. The words that I am speaking, they are spirit and they are life. And we have to, we have to tie into those words. We have to feed on those words. Paul adds to Christ's words in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. They're foolishness to him for they are spiritually discerned. And so if you try to explain the wonderful days of unleavened bread to your unconverted friends, you are, <laughs> you're going to spend a long time getting nowhere because it's foolish. It makes no sense. It has to be understood spiritually because Jesus is the spiritual bread of life. Unleavened bread reminds us to be eating the spiritual bread. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And interesting enough, I was, I was expecting to have a bunch of children in here, but they had other plans. And I was going to ask the children, you know, how do you know you're hungry? Right? Well, you, you children can tell me. Come on. How do you know you're hungry? What? Your stomach growls. Yeah, see? It's the Day of Atonement already. Right? You get pain in your stomach. How do you know you're thirsty? Right? Your, your body tells you you're hungry and thirsty. God, thank God. He fixed it up that way. How many of us get busy in a project and we would forget to eat and drink and then end up dead? And I said, what happened to him? He forgot to eat and drink. Right? But when it comes to spiritual stuff, it's different, isn't it? It's different. You have to grasp that you had better be eating every day spiritual food and you had better be drinking every day spiritual nutrition or you run the risk of having big time trouble. Passover, unleavened bread, <clears throat> remind us of our need to be hungering and thirsting after the righteousness, the thinking of Jesus Christ. How many of you, let me see a show of hands, how many of you believe <coughs> unleavened bread finishes tonight at sunset? Yeah. Some of you thought that might be a trick question, which it is. <coughs> personally, personally, I am coming to believe, <coughs> over now 40 years, whew, anyhow, so I'm coming to believe that Passover and unleavened bread are like a spiritual boot camp for an eight-day period to prime the pump and prepare us for our Christian race for the next 12 months. Those of you who've been in the military, you understand that boot camp, like six weeks long, if that's how, still how they do it, <coughs> and when boot camp is finished, they don't send you home. They send you off to the battle. And you had better had learned the boot camp stuff 
in preparation for the battle. Well, when you leave here and the sun sets and you're off and you're done with unleavened bread and you're digging out your toaster and you're digging out your fluffy, puffed up bread, right? It's like, yep, that's all history. No, you, the lesson is to be carried on day after day after day and help you run your Christian race for the next 12 months. The festival ends at sunset, but the spiritual discernment should carry us forward all year long. Jesus and our Father are eager to say to each one of us, Matthew 25, 34, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Or another good one in verse 21 of Matthew 25. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. How many of you expect to hear those words somewhere in the next, I'll say, 20 years to be on the same side? <laughs> right? I am hungering and thirsting after hearing those words. I want the kingdom. I'm tired of being old and tired. Anyhow, we will soon be entering God's kingdom if we are spiritually eating of the living bread of life. Jesus said, if you eat this bread, you will live forever. Most of humanity understand that if we stop eating and drinking, we die. That's it. Isn't that simple? That's a simple little lesson, isn't it? That's the lesson of unleavened bread. This is also true on the spiritual level. Israelites were kept alive in the wilderness for 40 years by eating manna. What is it? We don't know what it is. What is this? What is it? It's manna. But they had to learn God's rules for staying alive. It wasn't just like the Garden of Eden. You get hungry, you reach out for a piece of fruit. Now you're done with the hunger, right? This was, you had to work for this, but you had to follow the rules. Exodus 16, 15. So, they, so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? You know, I don't know, what is it? And, and they said, <coughs> um, Moses said, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat for 40 years. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, God had to have a smile on his face when he did that, right? Okay. And Moses says in verse 19, said, Let no one leave anything of it until morning. Rule number one, do not leave it. And I wonder if this isn't where that saying came from that your parents always told, told you. Don't leave, clean up your plate. Eat everything on your plate, right? Because that's what they had to do. By, the, by sunset, it was like, before you go to bed, you finish up. You don't leave any. I'm just going to sneak some. Kids, don't sneak any in. Don't keep that stuff overnight. Oh, why? I don't see it can be any harm. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, and some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. <laughs> so the guy in the next tent, you suppose he knew what you had done. <laughs> and then I have a question. What did they do with the worms? Huh? I guess they grabbed them up and ran out of the camp as fast as they could. Anyhow, so if you didn't want it to, you know, stink and, and breed worms, then you made sure you followed the rules. Okay, so, you know, stiff-necked Israelites, it took them a while, but they, they started moving in the right direction. They <clears throat> disobeyed God's rule for eating bread and staying alive, and there were other rules too. One was you were supposed to gather an omer per person. Right? So you have to pay attention to what you're doing. Another rule was 
You had to gather it in the morning because as soon as the sun came up and got hot, it melted away. None of this, well, I'll just snooze in, I'll sleep a little longer, and I'll go out and get mine later. Later, it's not there. It melted away. It's gone. Right? Another rule, double the amount on Fridays. You can keep it over to Saturday, but only on Friday night. And it's like, who made these rules? <laughs> Try breaking them. <laughs> so for 40 years, they learned to keep the rules. God's live forever rules require only two basic things. We must gain the knowledge of God's rules. That's what unleavened bread is about, feeding on the knowledge of God's rules the way he does it. Now, you can make up your own rules, except that he runs the universe. <laughs> so when it's all finished and you say, hey, I'm ready for eternal life, he says, sorry, you don't play by my rules. Goodbye. <laughs> so the second thing we need is we must make ourselves obey the rules. Right? And the ones who said, well, we'll just keep some overnight, and they saw the worms, and they heard, they smell. What's that smell? Oh, this is horrible, ugly. They won't be doing that again, will they? How many times would you have to do that to learn that lesson? Not very often, right? Anyhow, so God's live forever rules, two basic things. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6.16. He says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey... You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death. And we have a world absolutely soaked in sin leading to death. And, and, you know, if you pay attention to the news, we are leading ourselves to oblivion if God doesn't step in and save us. Okay, or of obedience leading to righteousness. And it's like, you mean I've got to obey the creator of the universe before I can live forever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the plan. That's, how many of you think that's a good plan? I mean, if anybody knows the good stuff to obey, he ought to know, right? And how many of you are really miserable obeying God? You probably wouldn't put your hand up anyhow, would you? <laughs> okay. Jesus made it super plain. Um, <clears throat> and he said... John 14, 15. And, and people read in their whole Bible in a year, they just threw past this in a hurry. Right? If you love me, keep my commandments. Right? And this is what you need on a placard during the um, Super Bowl. Don't take down that John 3, 16 and put this one up in, in full, you know, the whole thing. Right? If you love me, says Jesus, keep my commandments. Yeah. Get that guy out of here. He's a nut. He might be a terrorist. Quick, get him out of here. So daily eating unleavened bread reminds us that every day for a year, for the rest of the year until we come back to unleavened bread again, we need to be feeding on the knowledge of Jesus. Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, if you wonder what is the matter with Christianity in general, and it seems like the Barack Obama is unhappy with Christians for some reason. I don't really understand that, but, but you know, Christians are getting hit from both sides. Right? And, and so 
if you ever wonder what is the problem with the world when we've got so many Christians, it's they don't have the knowledge of the Son of God. Classic example, John 3.13, Jesus speaking, red letters in your Bible. He just said, if you won't listen to me on basic earthly things, how are you going to understand heavenly things? And then he goes, no man has ascended into heaven except he that came down from heaven. So what do two billion people believe about Jesus? If you're Jesus' person and you die, you went straight to heaven, right? The problem with that is the actual knowledge of the Bible says you stay in the grave. And if you didn't understand the truth and you didn't have God's Holy Spirit, you end up in the second resurrection in a skin and bone body. How many want to go around one more time and come back the other end with another skin and bone body? Not me. I am done with this skin and bone and body, you know, at least for another couple of years, hopefully, right? But, but I, want the, I want the jet set body. I want the spirit being body. I want the angelic body. That's what I want and I hope and I long for. Okay, so Philippians 1.9, he says, And this I pray, Paul is saying to the Philippians, This I pray, that your love may abound, reminds me of kangaroos, still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Colossians 1.9, We do not cease to pray for you, Colossian people, to ask that you may be filled, just like this room is filled with praise and worship music, he's praying that they be filled with knowledge, knowledge of his will. If you don't know what Jesus is thinking, you're going in the wrong direction. How are you going to know what Jesus is thinking? You feed on the mind of Christ, and I don't know about you, but I forget faster than I learn. I've gotten to that point. So I have to keep learning faster and faster and faster because I'm, I'm forgetting faster and faster and faster. And I've got to keep putting it in, hope a little bit of it stays there. So he says, the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and in spiritual understanding. So huge numbers of Jesus, of people worship Jesus using faulty knowledge. And my answer to that is, they've been made spiritually drunk. You cannot explain simple things to spiritually drunk people. Revelation 18, 17, 18 talk about, you know, made the people drunk with the wine of her fornication. The people are drunk. And to give you a classic example, I hope this is not too offensive to anybody here, right, is bunny rabbits and Easter eggs and sunrise services make Jesus happy. No, they don't. And how do you explain the bunnies and the eggs to your children? Or you just say, hey, just accept it on faith. You don't have to understand the knowledge. Just accept what I tell you on faith. Uh -uh. Bad move, that one. Okay, so Romans 10.2. They have a zeal for God, but not according to true knowledge. Now, people who have a zeal for God, Jesus, 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 they have a zeal for God, so they have knowledge. He's not saying they have no knowledge. He's saying they have a zeal based on some knowledge that is faulty knowledge. 
And, and you know, there's a saying that goes around and around in my brain. <laughs> uh, somebody in another church far away in a different land. Um, anyhow, they keep talking to their sister and <clears throat> they say, the Bible says, and the sister says, I don't care what the Bible says. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. <laughs> There's the problem. If you don't care what the knowledge of the truth is from Jesus' lips, if you love, and people fool themselves, they think they can, they say, well, I love Jesus. And, and if, I'm gonna, if I'm standing there, I'm going to say something like, do you love what he says? Oops. Gone to meddling. What do you mean, do I love what he, of course I love what he says. Okay? Let's turn to John 3.13. <laughs> you don't love what he says. Well, he didn't mean that. Oh, so you know what Jesus is thinking because what he had written isn't what he, what he what is thinking, what he wants, right? So it's like you accept what he wrote and what God put into the Bible and gave us or you just make it up as you go. But bottom line is when you get to the other end, he's not going to agree with you. I heard a, a radio program. <laughs> it's like he was, uh, he was you know, a very knowledgeable person, very much... In, in the thinking of um, what we had, <clears throat> what we heard in the, in the Bible study here this morning, the seminar, he was very astute and he started out his 28-minute radio program with um, the most terrifying verse in the Bible. And that got my attention right away. And then he said, Jesus said, depart from me, ye workers of lawlessness. And I, I thought, I have got to stop the car and sit quietly and listen to this. This is going to be great, right? Unfortunately, I forget where I was, but I had to leave the car and I missed the rest of the program. But, but I heard him say enough to, these people knew Jesus. They believed they knew Jesus. And I'm going, yay, brother, give it to them. Yay, this is good, right? And then, and then he said, but look what Jesus said. I said, that's the way to do it. Look what Jesus said. And he said, Jesus says, I never knew you. And the audience, you can almost hear the audience through the radio go, oh, how can Jesus say, I never knew you? Anyhow, he, uh, he mentions the Lord, Lord. And he said, now whenever Jesus says, Simon, Simon, or Martha, Martha, or somebody says, Lord, Lord, it's for, you know. And I thought, no, 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 stay on track. There's an elephant in the room right at the end of the verse where it says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So wouldn't you think the logical thing most people would do is, hey, I have got to do some study and find out what lawlessness means, right? Now, when we're all driving down the road, we do not need to have lawlessness explained to us. You know, you drive through a stop sign, it's time to start looking in your mirror, right? If, unless you're, unless you're, you're feeling lucky, right? Unless you're feeling lucky, you know, or if you decide that 25 mile an hour speed zone for children, for the children's crossing and the schools, <laughs> I don't see anybody. I don't see any kids. I'm just going to stay at 50, <laughs> right? Here come the lights. Right? We understand lawlessness. We've been learning that on the physical realm. Well, God has the you know, same thing, and, but 
But unfortunately, I bet you anything, he didn't get to the elephant. He spent the 28 minutes going off on little tangents and, and said, there, there, don't be worried because you're safe because you gave your heart to Jesus and all is well. You know, it's like, re- get the knowledge, get the spiritual understanding. So they have a zeal for God, but not according to true knowledge. And, and you know, to me, if, if you have a loved one, if you have a relative or have a workmate, if you have anybody in your life near you that is slightly interested, just, you know, and, and I, I think we ought to, we ought to turn it into a, into a fun thing, right? How many of you have fun here this weekend? Are you having fun? Huh? How many of you have fun at the Feast of Tabernacles? Yay, right? We should make this thing fun. They think we're nuts whether we make it fun or not, right? <laughs> so we should make it fun. We say, hey, Arasia, what? Arasia to the kingdom of God. What? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be there before you. Oh, really? How are you going to do that? Well, I'm obeying, learning the knowledge in a moment, obeying what God says, and, and I'm going to be in the first resurrection. Here, show where it is. Show where it is. The rising, you know, rising in the air to meet the Lord in the air. You know, and so they'll be forever with the Lord. And, and you, uh, is this correct? You plan when you die because you gave your heart to the Lord, you're going to heaven, right? Right? Isn't that a plan? Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, <clears throat> the way I read my Bible... You don't go to heaven. You end up in the second resurrection with, with sand in your toes instead of gold like the streets of heaven are paved with gold. When all those people come up in the second resurrection, I don't see them wearing shoes. Somebody's going to have to make shoes for them, right? But, but I see their toes wiggling in the dirt. And pretty quick they're going to say, this is not heaven. That is not gold down there. That is dirt or that is sand. I have been gypped. Where's Billy Graham? I need to talk to him. <laughs> Whew. You know, America's preacher. All right, but anyhow, he could still repent. He doesn't have much time, but he could. Right? So he says in uh, Colossians again, I don't cease to pray to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. Right? They have a zeal for God. Um, <clears throat> Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.4, who desires, this is God, God desires all men to be saved we could just put a period right there, couldn't we? God desires all men to be saved. Wait, do we know the rest of that verse? Oh, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? Because if you make up stuff about God, he's not bound by it. And if you don't pay attention to what he teaches, you're going to pay and suffer the, the results. One In Peter, uh, just says Peter. Somebody left off the one or two Peter. But anyhow, one, th- one three... Um, as his design power has given us, I love this, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How did he do that? It says, through the knowledge of him who called us. So do you see how Jesus, when he repeats in John 6 time and time again, if you eat this bread, this is the living bread that came down from heaven. If you eat this bread, if you feed on me, if you feed on my words, you will live forever. It seems too simplistic, but it's based on you truly, tr- okay, you eat all, you eat, I was going to say you eat all day long, sorry. Okay, you eat every day, right? And, and nobody needs to come and tell us now that we're adults, you know, you know, you need to eat something. It's like, Got that, 
got that down pat. Okay, in the spiritual realm, this days of unleavened bread are saying, you must make yourself feed on the mind of Christ, even if it's only five minutes a day. Because you know what? If you say, I will read, I will soak up, I will meditate on scripture, maybe one or two scriptures for five minutes, and then when the bell rings, bing, I'm done, I'm out of here. You know what just might happen? What might happen is, when the bell rings after five minutes, you might be engrossed in what you're meditating on, and you just might say, forget the bell, I'll stay here a little while longer, and then a little while longer. And after a while, somebody in the family is going to say, will you put that Bible down and get out here and take the trash out, or whatever. But, but you get excited, you get engrossed in it, but you need to start small and you need to make yourself feed on it. Um, okay, Hebrews, Hebrews 10.26. Now, <clears throat> most of you, when you read this scripture, you, you think, ah, negative, right? So let's get past the negative stuff and get on to the good stuff. If we sin willfully, that's not good, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, right? That's critical. That's your starting point. You're never going to be baptized if you're not getting the knowledge of the truth. You're never going to understand unleavened bread in its spiritual level terms unless you're getting the knowledge of Jesus. And, and it should be enough that if Jesus said, I want you to do it. If there was some scripture in the Bible, please don't find this scripture. If it said, stand on your head for three minutes a day and God will send you into the kingdom of God. How many of you would learn to stand on your head for three minutes a day? Easy, right? Yeah. I mean, one way or the other. Help me, help me. Hold my ankles, whatever, right? But, but he's saying, get the knowledge of the truth. And, and you're going to understand through the knowledge of what Jesus is teaching. And it's like people, well, we just want to love you, Jesus. We don't care what you say. It's like... What are you talking about? Wake up and smell the roses. But see, you've got to remember, a lot of these people are drunk. They're drunk. You can see it at Christmas time. How many of you think you can see people drunk at Christmas time? Not, not, not physically drunk. They're, they're spending and they're spending and they're in a frenzy and they're trying to push Jesus back into Christmas and, and, and they're telling their kids about Santa who lives at the North Pole where there is no landmass. So the next person who tries to tell me that Santa lives at the North Pole, I'm going to ask, does he live underwater? Has he got a submarine up there or something? Does he hover above the water? It's like, why does nobody ask this question? Now, if you, they said he lives at the South Pole, aha, there's a, there's a landmass out in the South Pole. Get your, get your maps out, you'll see. But anyhow, it's like the whole thing is mythological and stupid. It's crazy, so why pay any attention to it? Second Peter 2.20. For if after you have escaped the pollutions of the world, this is, this is what we did when we came to the basic knowledge and we asked for baptism and we had the laying on of hands and we received the earnest, the down payment of God's Holy Spirit, right? We escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord. And, and, and you have to take a little bit of time. You have to obey a little bit at a time. And... You know, unleavened bread. It's like, well, I don't see that it makes any difference. It's not going to improve your health a lot, believe me. <laughs> right? You might lose a few pounds, although 
I have discovered that in unleavened bread I put on pounds. I'm not quite sure why that is, but anyhow. It, physically it doesn't do you. If you do what Jesus says to do, spiritually you will be blessed and you will learn more and you'll understand more. Second Peter 3.18. Peter says, last thing he writes, Grow in grace, favor with God, and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Unleavened bread is about obeying God's rules. If you stop keeping obeying the simple symbolism of unleavened bread, you begin losing touch with the true knowledge of Jesus. And you're saying to Jesus, even though I see it in Scripture, I don't want to do it which is rebellion, which is going to turn you over and let you go your way. So he says, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So it's about obeying God's rules and feeding on the true knowledge of Jesus' thinking every day now for the next, until the next days of unleavened bread. And, and you don't have to worry about thinking about unleavened bread, but you sure do need to keep thinking, I am going to feed on the mind of Christ a little bit every day. The more you do it, the more you like it, the more you want to do it. And after a while, you get to the point where I've got to stop. I've got to go to work. I have, you know, I have to do other things. But you have to make it fit into your schedule somewhere. So Paul warns about knowledge. Right? I've, I've made the case that getting the knowledge, the true knowledge of Jesus is paramount for salvation. Paul warns us about knowledge, the, the knowledge dangers in 1 Corinthians 8.1, he says, knowledge puffs up. Uh-oh. I've just been telling you how critically important it is to get knowledge, and now I'm telling you, when you get the knowledge, you're going to be all puffed up. Right? How's that going to work? Right? So, but love edifies. Right? 1 Timothy 3.6, talking about ordaining elders. Not a novice lest being puffed up with pride, this young person who's still a novice, fall into the same condemnation as the devil. We do not want to fall into the same condemnation as the devil, so we don't want to be puffed up with pride. Now, the drunk at Passover church people were puffed up. You heard a little about that earlier, right? Can you... Can, I, I can't get my mind around it, but... You have to remember that it was a different age. Jesus had a, like a turkey meal, only instead of turkey, they had lamb. The old covenant was a rejoicing meal that because of the blood of the lamb, they were let free out of Egypt, out of the bondage of Egypt, and they became a brand new nation, kind of like you have the 4th of July here in this country. Do we have a memorial service on the 4th of July? No, we don't. Up until Christ died, Passover was a rejoicing event. And when Christ died, it switched from the, the death of a lamb and the shed blood of the lamb caused us to be free. It shifted over spiritual terms the death of the Lamb of God, Jesus, and His shed blood causes us to be free eternally, free from the, debt, from the weight of sin. So, so it suddenly became a memorial service. I dare say most of us who kept Passover have always kept it as a memorial service. 
And so, uh, remember his death until we come. And so, um, <coughs> to, to, to think back and say, how could they possibly come and be drunk for... Well, because it was a different occasion. And they were still, they were still trying to catch on to the depth and the meaning. And, and of course, now, you know, we take, we take Passover very seriously. And, and we really take unleavened bread seriously, right? I mean, cleaning out the car. And, and if you've got young children who've been eating sandwiches in the back seat, well, might as well sell the car and get another one, you know. <gasps> All right. <clears throat> so, um, in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, it says that you may learn not to think beyond what is written, that none of you be puffed up on behalf of one against another. Now, some of you suspect that I like to use props. And so today it's a hammer, right? Hammer. Hammers are wonderful things unless you use them in error, right? Now it's obvious if you use this part, this front part, this is the front part, just in case you didn't know. This is the front part of the hammer, right? If you use the front part of the hammer, you can use it for bashing things, right? And you can use knowledge, and some of you are beginning to catch on to this, you can use knowledge to bash people. And that's what was happening in Corinth. They were taking each other to the law courts. They were using their knowledge and their pride and their position in Jesus Christ to hit on the other church members. And Paul says, no. Now, obviously, there's the other end of the hammer. This is the back end of the hammer. But it's more shaped like a hook, right? And it can be used for lifting up people, for building up people, for strengthening people. So knowledge can go two ways. You can use it to bear down on people. And, and a story that comes to me from a long, long time ago, a young man came to church on the Sabbath for the first day, and he had long hair down to his waist. Uh-oh. And you guessed it. Some important official went right up to him and said, and you've all got it memorized pretty much, don't you know that it's a shame? And he never came to church again. So he kind of used the knowledge without the love. He wasn't using the knowledge to lift people up, to help them see and understand. And in, uh, I, love, I love this, hidden in, un, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, hidden in there, it's the tongues chapter, and it's twisted, and they're talking about tongues, and what do you mean tongues, and you can speak, but you can't, and if you speak in Australian, you have to have an interpreter to speak, you know, explain, and stuff like that. But hidden in there is a little section that says, when an unbeliever is in church, huh? how did he get in there? Who let the unbeliever into church? Where are the deacons? Right? It says in Scripture, Paul, inspired by Jesus Christ, stamped and edited by the Father, says when the unbeliever is in church and he's sitting there in church and he hears one or two or three of you get up and speak in this unintelligible language and there is no interpreter, he is going to say, 
you people are mad. I'm never coming back here, right? And then it goes on and says, now if, you, if two or three of you speak the word of God, speak prophesying the, the inspired utterance, and, and this gets embarrassing. If you slow down and read this real slow, Paul says, this unbeliever is going to fall on the floor. Good thing we have 911 now, right? He's going to fall on the floor and cry out that truly God is amongst you. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be super to have unbelievers come into church and then go, wow, you mean it's just a matter of learning the knowledge of Jesus Christ and unleavened bread is like a, a boot camp or a lesson plan that we, we obey the physical things and then we focus on the spiritual things and then we feed on the living bread of life, Jesus Christ. So um, <clears throat> I, I beg you, all the knowledge you have, use it to help build people up. Jude 1.23 says, But others <clears throat> save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Now, of course, we're going to have a, a cookout. We're, are we having a fire or are we just using gas or something? <laughs> Anyhow, if something's in a fire and you don't want to put your hand in and grab it because it might be really hot, you can use the, the hammer to pull it out. You can use your knowledge of God's word to help pull people out of the problem. You can say, God has answers. Would you like to hear some of them? Right? And then you try and explain it. So pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment, even defiled by the flesh. You see on TV almost every week, firemen are often pulling people out to safety. That's the way to use our knowledge. When we feed on the mind and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the next question is, how are we going to use that knowledge? What are, how are we going to put it into practice? The Corinthians were puffed up in several ways. Like I said, verse 6-6 six, six there, they say they go to the law against your brother. You're puffed up. You'd rather not, you had not mourned that he who had done this deed be taken away from you. There was rampant sexual immorality in the church, and these were, <coughs> these were so you know, wet behind the ears church members that... And I can't explain to you how this works. And I don't want to. I, know, I, don't want, I never want to know how this worked. Right? There's one thing. I think God has a museum, <coughs> a spiritual museum somewhere that hopefully he'll let us see. We can go back and we can see events in, uh, in history. You know, like who really shot John F. Kennedy. Right? I mean, okay. We all got different opinions. <coughs> but, but <coughs> you know, how can a, chur how can a church be so happy, so puffed up, that, th and he said, it's this, this kind of thing, having, <coughs> you know, your father's wife, your, your stepmother, right, is, doesn't even have a name amongst the sexually immoral world, is how bad it is. And so he lowers the boom and he says, purge out the old leaven, because you're, you're all puffed up and you're not paying attention to what's really happening. In 1 Corinthians 13, and like we heard earlier, <coughs> it is so fabulous that, the, that the, first, the Corinthian people did what they did because now we've got a wealth of knowledge we might not have had otherwise. In 13.4 it says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. And I suggest to you that if a person uses knowledge and is puffed up, it's a sin. And here we are in the days of unleavened bread, and we're supposed to be getting the sin out. 
right? A avoiding sin, being aware of sin, not having sin. So don't be puffed up with the knowledge. Take the knowledge and use it for good purposes. Knowledge is only the beginning point. Knowledge without love fails. How can I say that? Next verse, verse 2 and 13. Though I have the gift of prophecy, woo, and understand all mysteries. Man, this is a tall Christian here. And all knowledge. See? Got all knowledge. Knows it all. Right? I will never know it all in this lifetime. I keep finding more stuff that I want. I, I have stacks of stuff that says, when you've got time, go study this. And I'm, I'm getting buried in stacks of stuff because I have, keep thinking of more stuff to study and I don't have time to go study it, right? If, if I have all knowledge and stuff and I have not love, it's nothing. All right, you know how we all love questions. Hands up if you think this is festival day number six. Hmm. All right, I may have omitted something. How many of you would like to raise your hands in agreement with me that this is the Pentecost festival, day number six? All right. It's going to be a tough... Hey, I got one hand. One, one, two, two, going three, four, five. The festival, the 50-day festival of Pentecost started last Sunday, first day of the week. What day is today? Friday. What day of the week is that? Day six. How many of you agree with me that this is day six of the... F <sighs> All right. When you got work to do tomorrow, I tell you. But it is, and, and if you'll take a serious look at your scriptures, it says, count for yourselves. 50 days. Last start with day one last Sunday. Today, day six. Tomorrow, day seven. And seven sevens are to be complete. So today is the sixth day of the Pentecost 50-day count. And you know what that means? We're not only here celebrating the last day of unleavened bread. We have been celebrating two festivals simultaneously for six days. That's got to mean something. And if you think about it, seven days is only about this long on a piece of paper. How long is 50 days? It's like the fish you almost caught, right? How come we've got a huge 50-day invisible festival? The reason I say it's invisible because Passover, we had three symbols. We had foot washing, we had the wafer of bread, we had the wine. We had three physical symbols to pay attention to. We come to the next festival, we've got one visible symbol and one invisible symbol, or it's supposed to be invisible. If you went to Subway, it was no longer invisible, it became visible, right? But, but the visible symbol is crunch. You know, that was unleavened bread. You know how I can tell? Crunch, right? Only you ladies get real clever, and you make stuff look like it's leavened, but you promise us, oh no, there's no leavening in there. 
and say, well, I think it's supposed to look leavened. I mean, unleavened. See, now I'm doing it. Okay. So, unleavened bread is about daily feeding on the knowledge, and Pentecost is for shaping that knowledge into godly sacrificial love for others, i.e. love. God is love. What's the purpose? What's the point? What's the end game of all of our lives that God is trying to produce in us is for us to become loving beings. You can't begin the journey without feeding on the knowledge of Christ. If you've got the wrong knowledge, I mean, people know that Jesus bled and died and to cover our sins. They know that. Good start. Let's go on to second grade. Don't stop at first grade. Come on, let's keep learning more scripture about Christ. And let's go to John 3.13, because most of you got that run wrong. Let's get it straightened out. And, and it's like, you know, you'll get a million different answers. He didn't mean that. Oh, let's go on to something else. Well, I've never seen that before. And I'll go ask my pastor or something. I, you know, it can't mean what it says because everybody, two billion people believe that's wrong. Yeah, but one being, actually two being, two mighty beings sitting on the throne in heaven, they believe that's right. Which way are you going to go now? <laughs> right? Okay, so Pentecost is shaping that knowledge so that we, instead of using our knowledge to bash people, we use our knowledge to edify and to strengthen and build and, 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 and you know, energize people. So Romans 5.5, 5, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you see how the Holy Spirit functions? Do you see why the festival of Pentecost is a huge 50-day long festival? It's invisible. And see, even when we get to the 50th day, we don't know what to do. So we have a potluck. <laughs> oh, 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 and we have a message or two about the Holy Spirit, because on the day of Acts, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, and there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? But it's a 50-day festival. We should be talking and thinking and mulling over this mighty thing that helps change the knowledge we have from just knowledge into love that is poured out to other people. And I love, you know, Jesus, we get to it in a second here, how is God's love poured out by the Holy Spirit? Jesus explains it in John 7, 37, and he does it in two verses. And thank God, John, when he's writing this, he thought, oh, you might not understand what I wrote in those two verses. I better give you a third verse to help you understand what is all going on here. Jesus stood and he cried out, if anybody thirsts, and the knowledge that we're getting through days of unleavened bread and then for 300 and the rest of the year, should be reminding of us that we need to get thirsty spiritually and we need to come to Jesus. He said, if anyone is thirsty, if you're thirsting spiritually, come to me and drink. So feed on the words of Christ, feed on the mind of Christ. Ask for the God, God's Holy Spirit because he loves to give it to those who ask for it. And, and you know, it's like, I didn't ask for Holy Spirit every day of my life in the church of God. I just, it didn't occur to me. So, yeah, I know it says ask for it, but, you know, I did that at baptism, you know. And it's like the husband saying to the wife, I told you once that I love you. <laughs> it's like, what more do you need? Well, God is saying he loves to give it when you ask. 
So we, you know, we need to be asking, and maybe that's why it's a 50-day festival of giving of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38, he who believes in me, Jesus, and believes really means trusts what I'm about. Believe. Do you believe? You know, somebody said the other day, they believe in black holes. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I, don't, I haven't seen one. They don't make any sense to me. And I'm not going out there to look. <laughs> so until I see more proof, I'm just not going to believe it. You know, you scientific people, you get me afterwards, that's right. You know, but, but people have a belief. But what it means is you trust what he says. And they've got, well, I believe and I have faith over here, but I don't believe what he says is true. Give it up. Go somewhere else, you know. So he believes in me, out of his heart, and, and we switched from come to me and get a drink, spiritual drink. In the next verse, we switch to if you do, if you do come and drink from me spiritually, out of your heart, out of your being will flow rivers of living water. Not eyedroppers of water, not a cup of water, not a pitcher of water, not three or four faucets of water, not just a river of water, but rivers, plural, of water. It brings to mind the Niagara Falls. That's a lot of water. What are you talking about, Jesus? I drink out of my heart flows rivers of living water. What are we? John comes to the rescue, verse 39. But he spoke this concerning the Spirit whom those believing in Jesus would receive because the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Christ was not yet crucified at the time that he said these things. So mixing godly knowledge with the Spirit of God produces sacrificial love. Now, he boiled the whole thing down for us in simple terms when he said, all your Bible comes down to two simple things. Well, not so simple, but two things, right? Love God, oh, and keep my commandments, right? Forget that. Love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your being and your wallet and whatever you've got, love God with it all. And total encompassing love. You know, kind of like people do with baseball or football and stuff like that. Love it all the way, right? And then the second part, which sounds simple, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's busy work, right? How much do you love yourself? Do you love yourself? We do, don't we? We get out of bed in the morning, and we like being us, especially after we've had some coffee or we've had something to eat. Piece of toast. I can say toast, right? I just, I just can't produce. Oh, what's this in my pocket? No, I just can't produce, right? And I was so glad that he bought foam rubber bread instead of an actual piece of bread because it could have been holy horrors all around the room. But in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So... So we get the knowledge of Jesus Christ by feeding on him. And, and if, you if you believe in me and if you feed on this bread that came down from heaven, you will live forever. Because while you're feeding on it, you're going to discover you need to be baptized. You need God's Holy Spirit. You need to be asking for the Holy Spirit. And it says here, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And you're all exhibiting a lot of that, and it's fabulous. We see a lot of that at the Feast of Tabernacles. Ephesians 4.15 
speaking the truth in love. Another word for truth is true knowledge. So not, don't use the hammer true knowledge to hurt people. You ha use the true knowledge to talk to people in love. This is why I say it'd be great. You know, you should, you should start a little competition with some of your friends. Well, looks like I'm going to be in the kingdom before you. What are you talking about? I gave my heart to Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus said here, this is how you enter the kingdom. Go, giving your heart to Jesus is not how you enter the kingdom. And nobody goes to heaven when they die. They all go into the grave. Here Jesus says they go into the grave. See, so I'm going to be in the kingdom before you. And it's like, well, you're nuts. Yeah, you thought that last week. So, but at least now we're, now we're having some fun with it, right? And, and they, you know, they go to their grave maybe going, that neighbor of mine, he is nutty as a fruitcake. He thinks he's going to be in the kingdom before me. The second resurrection, poof, there you is. There he is. Hi, Beecher. <laughs> I told you, you wouldn't listen. Are you going to listen this time? You better listen. So speaking the truth in love may grow up into him which is the head, Christ. Now, if we read this next verse slowly, right? Now, read it very, very slowly with me, but not so slowly that you fall asleep, right? Read it slowly. Taking a word at a time and see that the two festivals mixing together now for these six days... And then the carry-on of the Days of Unleavened Bread feeding on the mind of Christ and the carry-on for the 50-day festival of drinking in of the Holy Spirit and then after that festival is over, keep on drinking the Holy Spirit all the way until you come back to Pentecost again, right? <clears throat> the two festivals mixing together produce Christ-like love beings. That's the goal. That's the purpose, right? 1 Peter 1.22 since you have purified your souls, that ties in with unleavened bread. We put leaven and leaven products out of our house. Since you purified your souls in obeying, Jesus said, don't call me Lord, Lord. Don't say Jesus, Jesus. Don't call me Lord, Lord, if you will not do what I say. I am Lord. Believe I am Lord and now obey what Lord says. So he says, <coughs> obeying the truth, the true knowledge, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren. Here, here, in a sense, really, is Passover, unleavened bread, and giving of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. They're all tied in together. This is the growth season. We're in spring. Things are coming to life and developing and budding and growing. And he wants another growth season for his children and his church members. right? And so it says, in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. This is aim high. This is the output of the Days of Unleavened Bread and, and the Festival of uh, Pentecost. So Peter says, we are in a process of developing the divine nature. Which isn't how we started out. But we've seen where we came from. We can tell stories about the ugly us way back, hopefully. And we can see that the divine nature is being developed in us. 2 Peter 1.3 says, as, he, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life. Remember Jesus said, eat this bread and live forever. And godliness through the knowledge of him, feeding on him, the unleavened bread symbolism, verse 4, by which... Have we, we have been given, given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, through the knowledge, 
you may be partakers of the divine nature. We are going to be godlike. We are going to we're in the process of learning to love people, but it's hard going because we're down here on earth. And, and like Paul said in Romans 7, the law of sin gets, gets a hold of us and we have to fight it back off. And that's why we're in boot camp now. And we've got to go out and do battle with ourselves and with our neighbors and with the world. And, you know, everything that used to be Christian is being turned upside down. Christians are becoming a persecuted group. It's like, wow. Jesus foresaw this. Woo, look at that. It's happening, just like he said. So he says, through the knowledge of him, um, partakers of the divine nature, verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. You have to be diligent. You have to obey. You have to focus. You have to feed daily on the mind of Christ. You have to ask for the, the, the Holy Spirit and use the Holy Spirit to benefit other people. Giving all diligence, add to faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge, and self-control, so you, you have to, you know, if you're tempted to use the front end of the hammer, self-control. Don't do that. Help this person. Perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and finally, to brotherly kindness, love, which is the divine nature, because one word description of God Almighty is love. God is love. That's what the knowledge and the Holy Spirit is supposed to be mixing together and developing and teaching us. In verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, if you've got this, if this is working in you, if the, if the symbolism of unleavened bread is, is up into the spiritual realm, and the same is true of Pentecost, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Don't let this slide. Don't neglect so great a salvation to make your calling and your election sure. You have to be diligent and you have to make it sure. And Passover, Unleavened Bread, and Pentecost are classic boot camp symbolism opportunities to focus on it and get up the momentum and get going for the rest of the year to keep doing what we've been learning in, in symbolism and in spiritual levels as well. I love this next, and he says, and then you, King James says, you will never stumble, right? Oh. I've stumbled lots of times. That's no problem. If you look at the Greek, it's much better meaning you will not fail of salvation. You have made your calling and election sure. You will not fail of a salvation. And then I love this next one, verse 11. For so an entrance, there's going to be an entrance into God's kingdom, will be supplied to you, how? A little smidgen? No, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Combining spiritual discernment of Passover and unleavened bread and Pentecost points us towards developing the divine nature through the next 12 months. If this is our practice, we will hear, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 